Welcome to the Principal's Office Podcast, where we believe that the principal's job is the most interrupted job on the planet, and creating a clear and cohesive plan is the best way to improve your school. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Miller. I'm the founder of Leaders Building Leaders, and it's my goal each week to introduce you to new strategies and initiatives that are improving schools across the country. You're going to learn leadership principles that are going to help you accelerate your growth, build your teams, and execute on those goals so you can exceed those expectations of the communities that you aim to serve. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to our website at lbleaders.com. But for right now, enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome, everybody. My name is Tom Miller, and this is a really exciting day for me because this is our Expert Training Monday during our Lunch and Learns. And so in this room, we have exceptional children's directors. We've got heads of schools. We've got assistant principals. We've got coaches. We've got all sorts of individuals who are part of our Inner Circle Collaborative uh, programs. And so what my goal always is, is to bring in someone who is a mentor, an expert in a field, and so this, this month we have Shannon Stein, and Shannon Stein is the superintendent from Lake Norman Charter School. And if you don't know Lake Norman Charter School, just go to lncs.org, and you're gonna learn all sorts of things. But let me just first tell you what I learned about Shannon. I've known her for eight years now, and you know, despite the fact that, that she's from Wisconsin and likes the Packers, and I like the Bears, we have a very good relationship. <laughs> and um, Shannon, or, you know, I. You know, I was trying to think, Shannon, I was uh, like last night, I was like, when did I really start to create, you know, you know, a good relationship with you and learn more about you? And it was when Lake Norman had like two or three teachers in a row who were up for the teacher of the year, the charter school teacher of the year, yeah. where I start to come and visit your school more often. And I may have been your office of charter schools uh, consultant at that time. Mm -hmm. And then you asked me that great, you know, question about North Carolina boards, right? You know, how could charter schools, uh, you know, become members of the boards? I'm like, I'm not sure they could. And, and uh, well, they could, but, you know, would be allowed. And, and um, it's just gone from there. And I'm just, you know, really blown away. It's been a couple of years since I've been on your campus physically. We had our mm. principals out there at the principals consortium, which was amazing. And your leadership team was up there talking about all the different ways that they use, you know, social medias and, and contribute. I'll, I'll never forget, Craig's like, we can always contribute to the communication and that is always mm -hmm. our key. But I just look back six years in a row of being an A school and some mm -hmm. people might say, well, so what? Well, how about six years in a row of also exceeding academic growth while being an A school, <laughs> while in the middle of expansion, and I don't know how many students you serve now. It has to be close to 2,000 or over 2,000 now, Shane? Over 2,000. We're at 2,210. Over 2,000. I mean, you are a, not a mini school district. You're, a, you're a, a school system. So I'm just really proud to know you and, you know, thank you and your team for uh, giving us this time. I know you're going to give us some tremendous uh, value. So everybody, welcome, Shannon. Give her a, you know, silent applause here because you're all, <laughs> all mute. Hey, everybody. And I want to well, bring your uh, colleague on, too. So let me see if she's here. Thank you very much, Tom, for the, for the nice intro and the kind words about the school. So um, as Tom said, I've been the superintendent here at Lake Norman Charter. Um, I, it, this is my 10th year as superintendent, and I spent my first year there as the high school principal. And um, it, it's been great to see the growth. I'm sure you guys are on different parts of the journey being a charter school. We're in, I believe, our 22nd or 23rd year. Um, my director of community relations is gonna correct me, I'm sure, in just two seconds. Um, I will say, every the thing that I realized, and I'm sure you guys all realize, is that it is a wonderful team um, that makes this possible. People that are extremely dedicated and have different gifts. And um, I think it is, it has really struck me um, over these last probably four or five years as we've solidified um, our team, how important everybody's contributions and um, ability to look at 
at viewpoints with differing eyes um, has helped us to continue to grow and to grow in a positive way. So we're an unusual school. We started as a five um, through eight school. Then we moved up to high school and then um, we went back down to elementary school. So kind of an unusual thing. Our elementary school um, is in their fourth year of operation and, um, and doing really well. So some of you have much more experience in elementary than we do, but we're, we're very proud of that. And um, as anybody in my organization will tell you, currently we have about 600 kids in our elementary and then we're going to be moving um, up to our, our middle and high school, which have 800 per class. So my dream before I retire is I want another elementary school. So I talk about that all the time and my people are like, can we just sit for a while and not be always busy and growing and especially in pandemic, they are very much um, probably right in that case. Um, so originally when Tom reached out to me, um, he, we were gonna talk about strategic planning and um, about fundraising and how we do some of those things. Um, and Sarah would have been my resource and right hand for that because she is our director of community relations. And um, as such, she does our communications and she does our development. Um, and I don't know how I got so lucky, but um, I have somebody who has a wonderful background Around, um, in both of those areas and as a superintendent head of school and for all of you that are in that position that can be a very lonely position to be in and it's hard because when um, you know your principals can talk to one another you can have um, differing things going on that it feels very by yourself especially because some things you're not going to bounce off your board and for me I feel very fortunate that I have Sarah who has an extremely level head can look at things from all of our different stakeholders um, perspectives and I think um, I don't think I know it has made us a better school so um, Sarah you know we the Midwest must be conquering because Sarah is from Michigan so we we have a little friendly rivalry as as well but um, Sarah Sarah, is this your seventh year with us or sixth? Seventh year. Yeah. We won't talk about the Michigan, Wisconsin thing this morning yet, Shannon. <laughs> so get it where we can. Um, but that's a great thing is, you know, just like our students come from all over, we do too and, and value that. So um, as when, and Sarah will tell you, when we first got here, and I bet you many of you wear this hat, if you don't have somebody in a communications role, almost all the communications has emanates from the school lead, right? Or they're scanning what the communications are. And um, that can be a bit problematic because you have so many other things on your plate. And um, so one of the things, uh, hopefully if you, if you have not, I'll give you at a very brief level, we're in the middle of dealing with a federal lawsuit. And it's a federal lawsuit um, dealing with uh, a family who feels that a book taught at our ninth grade level was, um, overly hostile towards Christians. And um, despite the fact that we give an alternative to that, um, was trying to sue us under the First Amendment. And so that was a federal court um, situation. Now, as a school leader, you never wanna end up in court, right? That's, you would love to not be in court. But I'll tell you, um, if you're gonna go, go for the big times, because to go to federal court right out of the chutes, um, and that's what we did. And um, it's interesting because the news media picked up on this story and I, I think we've had five or six different news medias plus then that has been spread nationally. So um, I'm happy to report at this point there they had went for an injunction at the district court level. They were denied the injunction. Um, to, and so we started teaching the book last week, Monday. And they then took it to the Fourth Circuit District Appeals that, for those of you who are unaware, that is one step below the Supreme Court. And so I'm um, happy to report a three-panel judge also found in our favor. And just because of the veracity of what was going on, we were waiting to see. They would have been able to take that to the Supreme Court for an injunction. And the Supreme Court justice that's assigned to our area is, um, is the head justice, John Roberts. So I thought, well, that would have been interesting, but they did not do that. So um, right now we're waiting to see if the case is going to move forward. Um, it, that's in their court. They're going to have to decide if they want to spend the money and effort, and then we would be back in district court. So some of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about, that's sort of the backdrop, but it got me thinking about when you're a school leader, how do you handle communications, specifically crisis communications, and what plans do you do ahead of time, 
And how do you make sure that the right people and the right voices are being heard? Because there's nothing worse than somebody from your school speaking out of turn and representing your school in not a positive way. Um, a board member that doesn't understand their role, um, you know, folks that are just getting kind of off ranch. And um, certainly as charter schools, one of my biggest concerns is reputational damage, right? So currently we have a pretty decent reputation, but just like a lot of things in life, it doesn't take, uh, you know, but a bad review and all of a sudden your school's you know, could be looking at not having as many people apply to your lottery and people leaving your school. So, you know, there's a lot of risk on our on our side of things. Um, and that'll become important later because I'm going to talk a little bit about insurance and some of the things I think you should be looking for there that I didn't know to look for. If you don't, if you haven't lived it, you don't know to look for it. So um, I'm going to ask Sarah again. Um, Sarah is fantastic. I know she leans into a few other charter school folks that they've collaborated, but there's not a lot of charter schools that have communications folks. And um, I have learned so much from her. Just to talk about, first of all, what do you do for crisis communications? Does it start when the crisis happens or does it start before the crisis happens? So Sarah, do you want to kind of jump in and, and talk about the vision you had for that and what we did and, and kind of what we do each year as a result? Sure, Shannon, thanks. Um, yes, and Shannon's right, I think, with that. I think that one of the biggest things that, that you all can do, if you haven't already, is to figure out and create with whoever would be the appropriate person or people to work with you on your staff, uh, a um, kind of a communications navigation document. And so that you know from the very beginning that if you should have, um, let's say a death of, of a student, right? Or a death of a staff member, you know, you're not gonna be thinking straight. You can't be expected to be thinking straight and clearly in that kind of a situation. So it's really important, I think, ahead of time to work on what that looks like. And you can never know exactly what the crisis will be, but there are some common things that you know that you're going to need to do in a certain order. And I think that that timing order can be really important that you know that you're letting your board know, you're letting your admin team know, you're making sure that your internal staff, all 160 of them or however many it is at your district, um, before you're letting the parents know. And what do you let them know depending upon what it is? What if it's a student who's been in a major accident or has, ha has had a particular um, very serious health scare that this happened to us a few years ago on our campus actually at a friday night football game we had a student go into cardiac arrest uh -huh. it happened right on our grounds and you know you have people that saw that happen that are part of your community and you you know it's always difficult one of the things that Shannon and I try to figure out when we have something happen, you know, how many folks are aware of it? How many people already know? Because it, you're trying to make sure that in that situation and, and even in a death situation that you're respecting the feelings and the wishes of the family, right? And at the middle of a crisis, they're not thinking that they need to let the school know what they want the school to do. Because sometimes they do want the school, that's their, their child's community. They want the school to know, they want us to let um, people know. Maybe it's just the teachers to know, their teachers they want to know. They don't want the, the whole high school to know, but it's, it's important to understand kind of what those wishes are. So there's so many moving parts. And again, of course, you don't have a crystal ball to tell you what that crisis or emergency is going to be, which is why, um, Shannon and I feel that it's so important to have kind of that high level that doesn't have specifics because we can't know them, but kind of here are the things that we're going to do in the particular order that we're going to do them in. And having that ahead of time where you can clearly and thoughtfully think about, well, do we want to do it this way or do we want to do it that way is so, so important before being in the middle of all of that. And that is something that I think once you have that, you can review it and probably should review it as you have different things come at your school. What worked, what didn't work, do we need to make a small adjustments to it or, or did it do a pretty good job? Um, but that is something that once you have it, it can kind of endure, right? Um, so that would kind of be document number one, sort mm -hmm. of your overall sort of overarching Bible of, of who you let know and, you know, and what order that you let them know when there's, when there's a situation. 
Another thing that is so important, we feel like, and this is more of an ongoing thing, is making sure that if we were to have a crisis, so now I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about more of a on-campus school kind of a crisis that sends your district into, or that school, into a lockdown, whether that's a code red lockdown or whether that's a code yellow. And for us, I'm not sure if this is blanket terms or not, so forgive me if I'm telling you something you already know, but for us, a code yellow means there is an incident in your general campus area. So there is police activity and it's important that no one comes into the school, leaves the school, and that certainly we aren't having students outdoors in that time. But instruction can continue and we're moving forward, but we're in a lockdown situation where no one is leaving and no one is outside. So it's really important that you have people depending upon how your school is organized. For us, we have two campuses and three schools. And then we have kind of our fourth building, our admin central office um, suite of offices. So we kind of have four different buildings and we have two of those buildings on each one of our two campuses. So it's important that you think through who is going to know how to do this communication? So yeah, I know how to work our apps and our K-12, Swift K-12 and Schoology and how to get a, a post up quick. And some of the people that help support our department know that, but what if we're tied up? What if we're not at work that day? So it's really important that you designate people, whatever is appropriate for you, depending upon your physical structure, but that you designate people who are trained up and have the document and here with this, you can be much more specific than in the document I mentioned a minute ago. You don't know what that code red is or that code yellow is, but that's okay. The important thing is you can tell your community, your parents that we are in a code red situation. This has occurred on our main campus. This does not affect our elementary school campus. We need you to not call us. We need you to not come to the campus. Things like that, it doesn't really matter what the specific emergency is. What matters is we're in a code red or we're in a code yellow. And here is what we're going to do and here is what you need to do for us. And to have the people that are trained up to go ahead and quickly get that text message sent out in K-12 and to get that email right behind it sent out in K-12 and right behind that get that Schoology message posted and right behind that get your website alert up so that anyone who comes to your website sees that first and has to click that they got it before they go into your website and get your phone messages set up because as much as you tell people not to call you they're going to call you. And, you know, a lot of information and details are not the point at this time, but they're going to hear it. You can never outpace the cell phones that the kids have in your buildings. So the faster that you can get it out there and just that they have heard from the school, they don't need the details. They just need to hear officially from the school in some way. And so we have an actual Google document and Shannon is involved in this. I want to say there's seven or eight people and we're not an enormously big school district, of course, but we have about eight people who are trained up and strategically placed at all of those four different buildings so that we know if there's a crisis on main campus, it doesn't have to be someone on main campus that is going that is being responsible for that. We have a a text message set up our code red text thread so that it's just you start typing in co and it pops up and we can begin communicating with each other we know how to do these things on our laptops on our desktops on our phones and on our ipads this is all thought out ahead of time and every fall before school starts in august we have a retraining again so that people mm -hmm. are up to speed and remember um, our practices for a lot of us is it's pinned to our um, Chrome. And so that when we open Chrome in the morning, that document is in there. And that's that step-by-step -step directions, information about how to do it, how to get into the app. And if it's a situation like Schoology where you can't store something ahead of time, it is right in that Google document that we all share. Here is your Schoology message. And very little needs to be changed because again, you have one for code red, you have one for code yellow, you have one for code red on main, you have one for code red on elementary campus. As much as you can do ahead of time, the better. And then lastly, um, the other thing that I would say is Every um, fall, as soon as we get into school, once you get over that initial crush of new school information, I don't know what to say about a pandemic year because I don't think we've ever gotten over that crush. It just keeps on coming. 
but we send out an email to all K through 12 of our families to let them know, here's what you can expect of us in a crisis. Here is what we are going to do. Here's how we're going to notify you. Here's what we need to be able to expect from you. And that goes back to don't come to our campus. Don't call us because that just ties up lines that we need to keep open for emergency communications. Um, if there is a situation where we need to get students off of our campus, here is the meeting point, the business park in our town that you guys are going to go to. So it's that kind of information ahead of time that we let them know so that in the middle of something they maybe have heard or somewhere in the recesses of their mind they think about, oh yeah, I know this is how I can expect to hear I'm going to get a text message, I'm going to get a Schoology post, it's going to be on the website. So they know of those things ahead of time. Again, you're hearing me say that, but that's really what all three of these things are, is thinking it through before the crisis happens. Yeah, and guys, I would say um, the word that Sarah's trying to impress is proactive because you have a script that, that you can use because, because you don't know what the crisis is going to be. You don't know if the media is going to show up on your front steps. Um, and some of the questions that should be in your crisis communication plan is, what stakeholders are we going to communicate with? in what order, what do they need to know, who's going to communicate it, because currently our crisis communication plan has six different folks that we would communicate with. There's no way that Sarah can be the point person for all of those, right? So it's our admin team, our board, our faculty, our parents. Um, we also put out on Schoology and then to media. And, you know, that's just the, the pieces of who now you have to start thinking through all the things that she's talking about, which is, you know, if there was this type of communication, like an emergency response, because there's an intruder on campus. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a school shooting. We have had, we're right next to um, Central Community College here, Piedmont, and um, they had a stabbing in their parking lot. Well, their campus is right next to our campus. So now we're in a lockdown with somebody that might have a weapon right next to us. They, they weren't threatening our school, but they could be in our neighborhood. So, you know, obviously when you talk about school safety, parents will go off the chain. And to her point, if you're proactive and send something out ahead of time, they know what to expect. They know that you're thinking about it. They know that you have a plan and that helps to add to help with some of that. So it's, it took a long time to perfect that crisis communication plan. And um, you have to think through lots of different ones, whether it's an immediate lockdown situation, whether it's a student death situation, or whether the crisis is you're dealing with a federal lawsuit. And those are all very different things and they're gonna get to very different reactions. But you definitely want point people who are, that way there's no confusion and people stepping up into voids because they know it's already taken care of. Um, you know, and then you're making sure that your leadership knows so that they're communicating that. And so the, the time that you spend on the front end and it feels a lot better to me knowing that we have a Google Doc that can easily be changed there's hyperlinks to get us where we need to go. There's training every year so that we feel very confident in what that looks like. Um, and, and I promise you, if you've not done one and you wait until you have a crisis, you will be sorry because you will forget somebody, you will communicate wrongly, somebody will step into your void. So the more planning you do ahead of time, the, the, better, the better you're going to, to do. Um, so I think that's a good place for a little bit of a break and then we'll kind of talk about a little bit more specifics. Are there any questions just on that piece of things? Yeah, Shannon, there's a question. Um, it says that back in the day, I guess the attorney at general's office sent out a kit for code red. Is there still a kit or did you just create your own or like how did you start? Yeah, we, we created our own and it was just putting good brains in. And like I said, Sarah's excellent at looking things from different perspectives. And I think the way you can test it, and I'm sure Sarah has some other thoughts is just think it through. A kid was killed in a car accident. How would this work? A kid died of COVID. This is how it worked. Teacher died of COVID teacher kid committed suicide. And she's absolutely right. When it comes to communicating, some of the hardest stuff is knowing what the family wants. Because the last thing you wanna do is to violate their trust in the worst time of their possible lives by giving information that is either incorrect 
or more than they wanted. And trying to get to the right people when they're in crisis is very difficult. So that's us trying to tap in of like, okay, who has connection with this family? Um, believe it or not, even in those crisis situations, sometimes there's people that try to step up in the void on the family side, like, oh, I'll speak for the family. I'm good friends with Stacy. And you're like, wait a second. She's not the, that's not who's been appointed by the family. So there's a lot of layers. And I think as you start going through and thinking about these different things. So I went through the death side. What if you're in a lockdown because of a situation like ours. Nobody's directly threatened your campus, but there's something suspicious in the area. Um, what does that look like? How do you keep your phone lines open? A lot of times people forget about their front office staff. And I know that's one of the things that, you know, who takes the phone calls and you don't give them any information of what to say? Like, that's a really hard thing. And they're put in a terrible position of, they can't get a hold of the building admin because we're all busy doing something with that. So I think you just start with a plan, figure out who the stakeholders are, figure out who in your organization is gonna communicate to those stakeholders, make sure those people have rights to do it, make sure they have training, and then start running scenarios and literally be like, okay. And I'll tell you, if you don't already, I collaborate with some other head of schools in the area and all they have to do, we learn from each other. Like, wow, I've never had that happen. What would I do in that situation? And so um, that's why Tom's group is so good because you guys are gonna talk about these different things and be like, okay, how would I handle that if that was the case? Um, so I, I do remember the toolkit. There were a couple of good things, but I think the problem is, is that every school is different. Like we use Schoology as our learning management. You may use Canvas. We use Swift K-12 as our kind of, blast everything out there to folks. Everybody has something a little different. So you just have to, they can give you bones, but you have to think about structurally, do the people that need access have access? And again, what happens if somebody, who's your second in charge? If I'm at a conference all day in Raleigh and I'm part of the, I'm part of it and you can't get a hold of me because there's no cell phone reception, what do you do with that? And empowering people to do that. So you got to start with skeletons and then you have to work through some of those different plans. Sarah, would there anything else you would say? The only other thing I would add to that, I'm not sure if this applies to how many of you out there, but we have an SRO on our campus mm -hmm. and we he's great about working with us or at least typically how it works is I get going with the draft and then I always want him to be one of the people who's reviewing that and helping me out with that. And Shannon has a great relationship with Huntersville Police Department, which is our local police department. Um, and our SRO, of course, helps with that as a liaison. But I think that that is a great thing. If you have the benefit of that or if that is something that might be available to you to cultivate that relationship um, that has paid off for us in spades we have um, it, it you know I think it it works both ways and so you know we're always happy to help out if there's some training that they need to do they need a building to do it in if that can happen on a weekend Shannon is always great as are our building principals about accommodating that which you know really only helps they become familiar with the inside of our school and how that works um, you know, so it's just a good relationship that we try to continue with, with our local PD. Yeah. And if you've not done that and, and made contact with your chief, even if you have an SRO, it, I think it's important because any type of that, you know, I, I work a lot with the town of Huntersville too. And like she said, if there's opportunities for something that they want in our building or that we can do, we're going to try to support that because they're always looking out for us. And I'll give you a great example. Um, we also tried, believe it or not, with our fire department, well, our chief on our fire department, um, when there was stuff going on with all kinds of weather and concerns, he was giving us inside tracks of here's what's behind the scene from emergency management. Well, that's a whole lot better than looking at weather.com right? You know what they're expecting, you know what the prep is, and it's all about, I just can't say it enough, proactive, 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 investing in getting to know people and um, having a plan ahead of time. So I saw, I think, I, I think it was Joan's question, if not whoever asked about um, how much are we communicating about COVID, where the governor is on COVID, and I got to tell you, this is definitely an art than a science. So I'll ask Sarah's perspective. So um, one of my contemporary schools in the area just sent out a huge email that was very transparent, laid it all out, just a ton. We tend to be more on the other side of things, which is we keep a data dashboard up. There's a place on our website. And for those who are interested, 
where, you know, they can find that. And so they're, you know, if it's going to affect their children, they're going to get it from us. But if it's sort of day-to-day type of the tracking, we put it a little bit more in their lap. And part of it is, if you guys haven't noticed, I'm sure you have, I have teachers and families who still think COVID is not a real thing, to I have people who think that that we are insane for even being hosting school. Like there's, and there's, you can go on all sides. Um, and we started in remote, we went to a hybrid um, and you know, we had, it was almost half down the middle. Every, actually it was kind of a third, a third, a third, right? A third wanted to be wide open, plan A, everybody there. A third wanted us in hybrid and a third wanted us to stay at home. And um, this, is, this is a year where you can pretty much count on they're not going to love you like there's even with the best communication because they just disagree and there's family situations so it's been challenging for the best folks um but that's sort of been our approach is that if it directly affects their kiddos we have surveyed our families and our teachers a couple of different times um and you know we try to make sure that they're still feeling in partnership but but the truth of the matter is you you're gonna I don't know that there's a right answer because some people want all that information and some the more you push it in they stop listening so I think that's the fine balance so Sarah any thoughts on that yeah so this has been um, as you guys all know a really out of the ordinary year and when it comes to communication it's really tough I think at least for me to not feel like I'm I'm reacting a whole lot more than what I'm comfortable doing right because you try to be preemptive about things you try to get into a rhythm with your community so that in any kind of regular year that they and particularly in, in a non-regular year that they are able to kind of predict um, where you're going to be communicating, when you're going to be communicating. You don't want, if possible, to scattershot them with a whole bunch of stuff. And it's really, really hard this year because stuff comes out quickly. And sometimes it's so time sensitive that you have to kind of go outside of your normal, typical um, weekly sort of um, plan that you typically would follow. But as much as possible, and I felt like we were constantly in the boat, that boat this summer. Things have smoothed out a little bit and hopefully you guys are feeling that way a little bit too. So we've been able to ease back into more of a typical school year type situation where our families know that for us, every Friday, they're gonna get their Schoology posting by school specific to their school. If they have kids in more than one of our schools, then they're gonna get two or three of these. But it's a bullet week at a glance. And that is the time sensitive, date driven type of information that is necessary for them to know about in a concise bulleted format for the following week. And we, we try to, as much as possible, keep the information that is a must-know type thing in the week at a glance um, and not go too much outside of that. Um, you know, if things are really important for us, then that deems an email type um, communication with Schoology. We've really been able to, as more and more of our families have adopted that, we've been able to curtail some of the emails that come. Um, and we really rely on our annual survey that we send out each February to our families. One of our, we try to keep those questions not too terribly long, but two of the questions are always devoted to communications. And I wait for those responses every year because there are areas that I know we need to continue to work on. And the biggest one is I'm feeling too overwhelmed by all of this communication. So I constantly have that in my head. And as I said, we try to be predictable and consistent with the way um, the timing and the means that we're using the channels to communicate. So our families know that they're not going to have to go to Facebook to see some must know type information. If they want to follow us on Facebook and be active on social media, then they can do that or they can go to our Twitter feed um, or our Instagram and they can see kind of the softer side of LNC so they can keep up with some fun things. And sometimes we use those channels to communicate um, a little bit more um, important information, but we'll never rely solely on those. They know that the Schoology um, groups are where they need to be at and they need to be making sure that they're following that week at a glance. And again, if it's something that is either so time sensitive or so important or both, that's when we'll come into a, an email and then a text message, which we only do a handful of times per year if it's something super, super urgent and time sensitive. 
Um, but our, our emails, and again, because of the type of year that we have had, we have sent out more emails this year, I'm sure times three compared with where we were at last year in November. Um, if you compare the two numbers of emails we've sent so far, but our emails follow that same format. We send those through constant contact because it allows us a little bit more um, opportunity for some important graphics and things that catch people's eyes and make them tune in a little bit more in a climate where they're being bombarded with so much information. So for that, we'll often steer away from K-12 and use constant contact. Um, and those same graphics are at the bottom of every single one of those emails. So the link to our COVID-19 page, which you guys can all see if you go to ellencharter.org, it's right at the top in that upper channel, COVID-19 and 2020 one school year. Um, everything that we have to do with COVID-19 is on that page and a link to that is on the bottom of those emails every single time that we send it. Also a link to our FAQs is on the bottom of those emails and it's the same graphic every single time because people connect it. Okay, I see that mask. I know that that means Ellen sees FAQs and we've trained people starting this summer back in June and July that if you have a question, go to this FAQ first and we try to organize that by seven or eight different sections so it's easy for people to quickly find what they want and they know that if you don't find the answer to the question there that they're going to use our FAQ questionnaire and they're going to find their answer there by emailing us their specific um, question and a lot of times that's how we've compiled our FAQs themselves mm -hmm. it's been driven by the kinds of questions that we're getting from our parent community and that was really busy like to the point of not even be, being able to keep up with that FAQ back in um, July. But again, that has toned down a little bit and we've fallen into a rhythm, fortunately, um, with all of this pandemic type thing. But I think the last thing I would say about that is as much as we as school leaders always try to stick with what we have said and say it one time and not go back on that. We all know that this year is different from that and that the, as this virus evolves, we have to evolve. And so I think that was something that was personally a little bit hard for me back in the middle of the summer to accept that if I say something and then have to retract that or tweak that to our all of our 20, um, well, about 13, 1500 family, I don't like to do that 10 days later, but that is the nature of what we are dealing with. And so, um, you know, you can't say that I said it this way and that's the way it's got to be and I'm not going to change because I've already told 1500 families that that's the way it is. Not this year. And so I think as communications people, which you all are in some capacity, we have to give ourselves grace this year and understand it's a different kind of a year. You guys, in the chat, I put in the link to our um, Safe Schools website, and in that is our COVID dashboard, because somebody had asked. That is a running um, document that we do. We update once a week. We have a cumulative dashboard, and then we have a weekly dashboard. Um, and in talking to some of our um, contemporary schools, everybody's doing it a little bit differently, but I think it's good that you have a process so that families understand and your teachers understand. I will say our dashboard, if I had to guess, our teachers are more interested in the dashboard than even our parents, right? They're looking to see, um, and they want to know, how are you contact tracing? How are you going to let us know if there's been exposure? And um, so last thing is, I'm going to hit one more time because I can't overemphasize. When you're dealing with something like the pandemic, this idea of putting together an FAQ so that the principal at the high school doesn't have to say it, and our elementary principal, and me, if we can point back to that FAQ, one, you get consistency of message, and two, hopefully it's saving your inbox from getting blown up, right? And so you just train people to go there. And I will say um, the questionnaire has made us actually look at our processes. You know, a question came in of like, well, when can people go back out to distance learning? Well, you know what? We didn't really have a good consistent answer for that. So we had to go back to the, it, it forced us to come up with a composed answer. So if I let my communications department do the answer, I know it's going to sound good, but then structurally, I know it's going to work. So if you've not done one for something like that, it's, it's worth it. It is kind of a bit of work, um, but it does give your family something that they can go back to and if organized well, um, it can be, it can be helpful. And that is also found on that page that I sent you. It's on the left-hand side under FAQ. So you get an idea of how we've organized it and some of the procedures that we have in place. Now, a follow-up question that Joan had was, 
how are we dealing with trying to communicate to parents when things are sort of unexpected, like what if the governor comes back out and puts us all in remote learning? And the hard part is, I think what Sarah said is, we can't what if them to death. I mean, there's already so much information and we have used our FAQs to say, look, here's what we're utilizing to make decisions on behalf of the school district. Here's what we're gonna be responsive to and here's what you can expect from us. And that's about all we can do. And then if, if by chance the governor were to come out and limit all schools to remote learning for a period of time, then we're gonna be ready to react to that and we've already thought of a communication ahead of time. And if you haven't, it's a real possibility. Like right now, you know, with all due respect, I think Thanksgiving is going to be a bit of a nightmare. You know, we kind of saw an uptick from Halloween and the numbers are going to go up and no matter, and I will say, we're not saying that same thing at our school level, but the governor might take that power out of our hands. So even though we're doing a good job, your teachers are doing a good job. I think um, right now, from a media side of things, this is gonna be a story that's gonna be front and center and is going to be something we're gonna probably have to. So if you've not already, you should be thinking about what would my communication say and how would we pivot? And how do you pivot for your teachers? Because teachers need to, one of the things we learned long ago is we always send anything that's going to our parents out, what, at least a couple hours in advance, Sarah, to our staff? At least two hours, Shannon. And if it's something that we would deem to be more heavy for them, and maybe it should never be that they're learning things about their school from our emails to the parents. But that said, sometimes there is information and there's been, as you guys all know, with this pandemic, a lot of emotions on both sides of this. Um, and that, that extends to our staff as well. And so depending upon the type of content, in the communication, I often will give it even more time than that. Like I might send it late in the afternoon or middle part of the afternoon and then not schedule it to go to our families until 10 or 11 a.m. the following day because I want plenty of time for our staff to be able to read that and absorb it. And a lot of the time, and I'm sure it's the same for you all, some of the communications that we're sending are heavy with links um, and various things. So there's a lot of information now packed into um, even a communication that might only be a couple of paragraphs. So I want to, there, we've done a lot of videos actually, which I really like. Um, what does plan B look like? Because when we, as Shannon said, started out in remote learning, it goes back to a third, a third, and a third. And this has played out consistently, even in the survey that Shannon mentioned that we just sent out, we just surveyed our staff again and our parent stakeholders again. And it consistently comes back. So one of the questions was for our elementary parents if you if we were to transition to a plan a um, how concerned would you be about that very concerned mildly concerned not concerned at all guess what those answers broke out at in those three a third a third and a third and that is what Shannon and I have seen at least at LNC play out this entire year since this has started and so um, again it's so important to get stuff out to your staff ahead of time because nothing is worse for them than to be at the grocery store after work that day and have run into a parent and have the parent begin to question them about an email that was sent and the teacher and I have any idea what they were talking about right. either because we didn't tell them ahead of time or they weren't aware that the communication was going out to the parents or they didn't have time to look at it. So um, I'm glad you brought that up, Shannon. Said that, but that is something um, that we started shortly after I got here, and it, it, I just that is so critical. I would say that that would be the number one thing. If you all don't have a really strong protocol for the timing of your communications, that ensures that your staff are sure to see that ahead of time. That would be one thing to do immediately. And it's interesting. We had um, a new teacher this year, sixth grade. And when I came by in August to introduce myself to her, she commented on that and she come from a different school district and she said, and wow, I can't believe that I see, I get the emails that the parents get and I get them ahead of time. That's amazing. And to me, that's just such a no brainer, but they really do. It's one of those things that you don't hear a lot of appreciation for typically from them, but boy, do you hear it if you don't make sure they know about it and make sure they have the time to comprehend it before it goes to parents. And not only that, but sometimes our teachers have caught, we thought we've run it past the right admin or people for the planning. And then we put out a communication and the teacher will be like, uh, excuse me, have you thought about 
X, Y, or Z, whatever it is. Like that's not gonna work because we're on a field trip that day. That's not gonna be a problem. They've actually saved our bacon a couple of different times because we've given them a chance to look ahead of time and then we can stop the parent communication or change it, make adjustments and go. Not a ton, but enough that it has been valuable. And um, you know, if you're gonna say that their, their voice matters and they're really valued stakeholders, this is a way that you demonstrate that that's the case. So, um, Tom, there may be some other questions. I do want to talk a little about specifically about this lawsuit because I've learned a couple of things that I think would be helpful. But any questions or things that you wanted to emphasize or clarify or ask? Well, no, I mean, you know, this is what I heard. You know, number one is that you all invest in communications, period, right? You have mm -hmm. a person in charge of it. You have one of the, you know, top programs to send emails to see who's opening emails to make sure your branding stays consistent everybody knows where to go the information's the same i mean those are some things that you know I hear a lot of charter leaders well i don't have you know the budget to do xyz but if you improve your communications i could guarantee you your budget will grow revenue wise because you didn't have 2200 kids seven years ago and i know mm -hmm. you've expanded your school but this has been a big part of your growth as well yeah, it's it's really an ounce of event, uh, an ounce of prevention worth a pound of cure. Because if something goes sideways on communication, you're going to pay for it, and so it's better to have those tools. And it it really does help for that partnership. So just to pivot real quick, because I know everybody's time's valuable. So as I said, um, some things are crisis, right? You have a code red, you have a student death, teacher death, whatever. That's a crisis that is, you're re reacting to that. Then you have some things that are what I consider negative events. And I've had plenty. Um, and I'm gonna tell you those and pull back the curtain and show a little my ugly because I want schools to know that. Because when you're going through them, you feel like you're the only one who's ever gone through them, right? So several years ago, we had a thing called the wall of ugly. Um, that was one of, um, one of our teachers was doing a genetics experiment and had the kids draw up some pictures and she posted them on her wall and um, they were clearly racially biased and that story took off everywhere. Um, you, could, you could just type in wall of ugly Charlotte. I'm sure you'll see it. Um, and so then we had a personnel issue, which made that hard because you can only deal so much with personnel and a lot of hurt feelings, um, you know, by our black community and they should felt that way. Um, so then we had communications on that way, damage control on that way. Um, we had a staff member who was accused of sexual assault 20 years ago, 20 years. So not at our school, but when he was working for a program at Queens University was accused by somebody. Um, and how do you deal with that? And what contact do they have with people? Um, and then you have what we're currently going through, which is this federal lawsuit about a book that they wanted removed from the curriculum. So um, I'm gonna spend a little bit more time on that, but those are a little bit different communications because there's a lot of emotions that come around you know, when you have a code red, there'll be emotions of fear, like I got to get my kiddo, but then you're not dealing with, you know, emotions about other issues of like, can I trust the school? How are they dealing with that? And, um, you know, luckily on the, the most recent thing with the Poet X um, is the name of the book. Believe it or not, the majority of our community, and when I say the majority, I'd say the large majority of our community was in support of our book selection and our teachers and our process. Um, most of the kickback we were getting was on social media from people not related to our school. And um, so that was kind of a different thing that we've never, we've had a motion from our stakeholder population, but what do you do and how, or if at all, do you respond to people that are not connected to your organization? And so one of the things we did with that, um, Sarah and her team put together a resource document. And the reason why is as we were getting emails, um, whether it was my board chair, myself, the building principal, we wanted to make sure that we were being very specific in one voice. We didn't want one of us to go off or another having the wrong piece. And that same resource document is what Sarah used in dealing with the media. And um, because we were in a legal case, when we were talking to the media, we had to make sure that anything we were saying to them was not going to cause us legal issue, right? So that adds a whole nother layer. We can't just communicate what we think is best. We need to make sure that our lawyer had looked at it. Um, Sarah had a prepared statement and how we dealt with that. Uh, I'll tell you an epiphany for me, and some of you are gonna be like, duh, Shannon, you should have known this. But if you're like me and you didn't know it, if you ever get a media inquiry, 
you don't have to get on the phone or in front of a camera just because they ask. And you're going to think, well, yeah, but then it looks like you're not transparent. Anytime we get media inquiries now, we ask the, the media person to send us the questions ahead of time because that way I'm not going to get blindsided. And I'll tell you, I did one early in my career where I didn't have the questions and they love to ask you questions that you're not expecting and do some gotcha stuff. And so to make them give you all the questions ahead of time pretty much makes it so that you can one, think your answer through completely, even if you're going to get on camera and two, um, just allow again to make sure that you are not talking off the hip and it's aligned with what you really have done, what that you believe in and go from there. Um, so from a communication standpoint, Sarah was our sole point of contact for the media. And that was important that way, again, no matter what they were asking. And she's invested a ton of time getting to know her local media. And I'll tell you, our local newspaper, because of the time that she's put in, they wrote a beautiful editorial in our favor. And we didn't ask them to. But I think it's because they have relationship and you know knew the school some and wanted to be supportive. And if you've not reached out to reporters and made those relationships, it's very helpful because they're less likely to play a gotcha game on you if they know. And once Sarah's building relationship with them, they know that she's the point of contact. So um, I'm gonna ask if there's any last communication thing, then I'm gonna tell you something about your insurance that you all wanna go check because I did not know and it was a bummer. I don't see any other questions on that part of the communication. And then you had your high school, or like the graduation, I can't, I don't know, like you may have said that, but I missed, you had a big thing about your graduation at the church as well that went. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I gotta just, you know, it's a good thing if you're in education long enough, you can't, you can't keep an account because it all just kind of rolls together. Yeah, um, and that, that could have turned into a lawsuit too and we chose not to pursue that, but that was, a, that was in the newspaper quite a bit too and it was this challenging of, we had our graduation in a local church that had been so good to us um, and they, you know, we got challenged by a family that, that didn't want us to have it in a church because of the, the church affiliation, which is kind of ironic that we now have one that says that we're against churches. So, and as an aside, the guy who is suing us on that side was very much wanting to help sue us on, the, but on, in our favor the other time. So that's just the way it works. Sometimes you're hot, sometimes you're cold. Um, things though, you know, Shannon, you have to know who you are, right? Understand your values, right? It's, there you it's go. a really big part. Know who you are and who you're not and just, you know, stay with who you are. And then, but also like, listen, you got 2,200 kids, that's 4,400 moms and dads and, you know, whoever else that's for you know grandparents and that's like ten thousand humans every year that you're dealing with and we are a human environment so you have to be able to connect with humans to really be able to communicate so and tom i i think you really nailed it on the head and i'm sure sarah will have something to say about this i'm going to just use the book we very much know who we are in regards to our strategic areas around global diversity and inclusion around our processes and sometimes you have to unapologetically stand where you know you are because you know what's the old saying if you don't stand for something you'll fall for anything and you're going to have parents that are going to want to push you all the time off your mark because it suits them or their belief system and you know you have to be convicted not that you're not self-reflective not that you're not including stakeholders in the process none of that stuff but once you have that you have to be confident enough because i think it is human nature to want to please people and you don't want the negative kickback on things we had a dress code issue too last year which happy that that wasn't national news but um very much just said hey we want to we have a process in place we're going to follow that to reevaluate our dress code and um there was enough kickback that some of our board members started to waver and that caused a ton of headache and I would say that they know that and they've all apologetically been like, I know. And it was because they were Facebook friends and they were believing the hype and things that weren't true. But that's why you just have to be like, guys, you know better. You know that's where we stand for. So Sarah, anything on that before I tell the insurance thing? Because I know we're running out of time. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is just in case you guys have been through this before or you go through it, something, whatever your individual situation or mini crisis ends up being, um, never, when, when it seems as if everyone is coming at you, 
you know, this goes back to Tom saying and Shannon reiterating, you, you have to know where you stand and stand there with two feet planted very soundly in the ground because you start moving around and trying to cater to different people what they want, even a little bit. You thought you had everybody mad at you and you thought your email inbox and voicemail was blowing up mm. with what must have been all of your families. And guess what? It isn't. It's just a few. It's just a few that like many things to do with your lives, it's the squeaky wheel, right? And so you start shifting things or tweaking things or even people perceiving that you're going to change in some way because of this pressure. And suddenly you realize, oh, I didn't have everybody mad at me because now I'm hearing three times more rumblings, but from the group on the other side, right? And so that just kind of goes back to what Shannon was saying is this is a year where it seems like everybody is very divisive and wherever you are, you're very dug in to where you are, right? I don't care what the matter is, what the issue is, whether it's hybrid versus remote or whether it's um, we should or shouldn't be reading this book or whatever situation is happening at your own school districts. But um, when you feel like the world is on fire and everyone's coming for you, it isn't. It often is a few families that are quite fired up. And in our situation with this lawsuit, as Shannon mentioned a few minutes ago, it really wasn't the, the hate e uh, voicemails that I was getting weren't even from our parent constituents. It was from folks out in the general community who were very dug in on this issue. So I just would reiterate to um, stay the course, know who you are, know your brand and, and stay with that. Because at the end of the day, you know, our school and likely yours too is a choice, right? So it's not something that they're stuck with. It's not their homeschool and they have no other avenue for a different opportunity. And so um, it's very important. And even though they're silent and you're not hearing from them because it, in these times of the pandemic, no one has an extra minute to send someone good job type emails. We don't hear about the good very often. We sure hear about the other, but there really are people out there and they are the majority who are applauding you quietly behind the scenes. And they really are appreciative of what you're doing every single day to make your school be as great as it is. Um, so, so that would be my last kind of like positive, hopeful message to you when it seems like it's as bad, it often isn't as bad as what it, as what it seems. Yeah. And last thing, because I know we're down to the wire. I do want to tell you about this insurance thing, because it was one of those another waha kind of moments and not in a good waha. Um, if you have not looked at your insurance, because you don't know, it's kind of like anything like, oh, I have good insurance until you actually have to use it. And then you're like, well, what do you mean that's not covered? What do you mean? Blah, blah, blah. So, um, two things I'm going to tell you about your insurance. So we had directors and operators insurance, which covers my admin team and my directors, my board of directors. And, um, and then they have a linebacker clause and then we had an umbrella policy. And so just so you know, for us, our insurance says you have to use the attorney that we want you to use. Otherwise your policy is void. Now I'm going to tell you the person that they tried to give us, had never tried anything with an education case, didn't know anything about it, and I'm back to reputational damage. So I would highly suggest that you look at your insurance policy and make sure that choosing your own counsel doesn't violate your insurance because um, that's a terrible place to be. Luckily, this is just reading a book or not reading a book, so the, the exposure to the school is pretty low, but what if it would, wouldn't be? What if it'd be something else? right? The other thing the insurance company showed me that they can do is a thing called reservation of rights, which is code for, hey, we're going to cover you with an insurance or with your, um, a legal person of our choosing. You don't get any say in that. And we're going to also give you this 12-page document that says, after the case is done, we're going to look at everything and see if it actually covers or doesn't cover what you're doing. So basically what I feel like is I have an insurance policy that is not, I mean, I've paid a lot of money in and yet I feel like if this case would have been something different, I could have had a lot of exposure. So the attorney thing is really important because, you know, again, the person they want to put me with is basically an ambulance rape chaser and that's not going to look good and reflect well on my school and I have no say on who that is. And um, you just want to make sure that they're going to be there for you when you want, because 
if you look at your premium, you're, you're paying a ton. So, um, and I wouldn't have known to even ask those questions. So you guys, please take that and, and know better than I did so that you don't have those same fights. Oh, this is great. I mean, this has been awesome. And when you think about it, you know, policies are written after the emergency occurs. So what you've just really taught us is if you're not preparing on the front end, you're going to be constantly repairing on the back end. So the more you can build, you know, systems, we talked about this in our earlier mastermind group about anytime something goes wrong, that means there's a broken system somewhere or someone didn't, you know, uh, communicate. And you just take the time to go back and say, well, where did we miss this? How do we make sure we don't miss this the next time? How do we make sure that our teachers get the information, you know, you know, just like, uh, Sarah shared. What's the best way, you know, Shannon and Sarah, you know, I know you're extremely busy. I mean, if, if, you know, someone wants to reach out to you, is it okay if they email you or is there like a contact on your webpage? Maybe they might be able to. Yep. If you go to our webpage, I gave you the original page, but it's ellencharter.org. And if you look under about us, you'll find both Sarah and I's email there. Um, you know, certainly want to be helpful. We've, we've collaborated a lot with other, other folks. Um, so, you know, happy, happy to help. And um, I know we're all in the middle of, I, I usually say we're, we're butt deep in alligators. And, you know, sometimes you just need to take a moment and do that preparing. And, and sometimes that's hard to do because there's so many other things on your plate, but it'll, it'll help you in the long run. Yeah, I love it. Well, you know, thank you, you two, for uh, giving us an hour of your time, you know, two hours, really, of Lake Norman's time. Greatly appreciate it. Uh, we all learned a bunch. Um, I'm going to unmute everybody if you want to um, uh, uh, say uh, thank you to Sarah and uh, Shannon again. So it's lncharter.org. And get a communications directory. If you don't have one, start the budget for one right now. Find one. Yeah. Even if it's part-time, just get that person right. in there. Thanks again, Sarah and Shannon. You all have a great day. And I'll see you Bears. And I'm sorry about Michigan. Sarah, let's Ooh. let Wisconsin do you know something for a year. It's okay. So, <laughs> so all right. Bye, everybody. Thank you, ladies. Bye, guys. Thanks again. Bye. -bye. Bye.